close. All right, so with that, we're actually going to look at, at Mark chapter 2. Speaking of getting things mixed up, uh, we're going to see uh, how it is that the scribes and the Pharisees got things wrong as it pertained to Jesus this morning. Um, and uh, it, it's important for us to uh, be humble and approach God in a, in a gentle and meek way, that we would be lowly in our hearts, that we would be humble before him and yield to his authority as he explains things to us through his word, as we are taught his word. Uh, because there are many people, as we see through scripture, that got things wrong. And even the disciples didn't understand until Jesus ascended um, to the Father and, and received the Holy Spirit, uh, the Sp- Holy Spirit came upon them, that they fully understood uh, the, the fullness of what Jesus, uh, who Jesus was and what he came to do. And so I pray that that is exactly how we come this morning to hear the very word of God. So let's begin by reading this morning's, uh, the title of this morning's message is Jesus Calls the Sinner. Very simple, Jesus Calls the Sinner. We'll see how it is that that is accomplished by Jesus in this chapter. So Mark chapter 2, and we're going to read starting in verse 13 as we pick up where we left off last week. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in, in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, thank you that you clarify many things in the Bible, Lord, that we sometimes come with preconceived notions or misconceptions, Lord, the wrong interpretation, or Lord, we just miss the whole picture. I pray, Lord, that even this morning that you would teach us, Lord, that you would help us to understand exactly what our Lord and Savior Jesus was doing on this day as he used this this moment, Lord, to Make a point to help us to understand what it is that you desire above all else, and that is that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance, Lord, that people would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. For we know, as Jesus said, that there's only one way to the Father, and it is through him. And I ask, Lord, that we would be reminded of that, Lord, that we would be... um, Lord, encouraged, built up, and Father, even encouraged in you and with great confidence, Lord, to understand what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. Lord, us, your people, Lord, need to know, need to understand how to live that way, how it is that we're in the world but we're not of the world. 
that we may resemble your character and that we may have integrity, spiritual integrity, Lord, to lead others to you. And so, Father, we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To gain understanding is to begin walking on the path of wisdom. We know that knowledge can puff up, but godly discernment and discipline of self in Christ is great gain. This morning, Jesus is questioned by some religious leaders, the religious leaders of the day. They were actually just not religious leaders, but they were the teachers of the law. They were the judges of the people. These were scribes and Pharisees. These men had much knowledge, but they possessed little understanding. And we see that throughout the New Testament. How it was that in the Gospels, Jesus confronted these religious leaders, and he even at some point called them vipers. He called them basically snakes, liars, hypocrites, because they failed to understand the very word that they were knowledgeable of and were teaching to the people and were even judging the people by. They had little understanding. They didn't know how to rightly apply what they knew or perhaps they didn't take a step back and see what the bigger meaning of it was. They didn't understand how to interpret the word of God. But Jesus was patient with them. He had compassion even on on them. Jesus will not only help them understand God's desire to bring the gospel to all, because he desires that no one should perish, but that all should reach repentance, that no one would go to hell without having first been forewarned and having been given the offer of God's grace, known only through Jesus Christ and faith in him. But we also see this morning how he impacts, that is, Jesus impacts those who are despised by society and helps them better understand his relationship with his disciples. Well, I I don't know if the scribes and Pharisees gained an understanding. We don't know that. But I pray that for us this morning, as we're within earshot of what's going to be taught of God's word, that we wouldn't be doubtful, that we would know amongst each other because there's fruit that we do understand, that we have come to rightly apply God's Word. This is a a matter that these learned people thought they had a good handle on, but actually failed to understand. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12 says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who th- thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. This is where I, I remind each and every one of us that as we look at Scripture, for us it's... Uh, it's a time of learning, applying, of being corrected, discipled, um, of coming in alignment with God's word, his truth. 
and realizing that we have not arrived. No one has arrived. No one has it all together. No one has figured it all out. But we're all growing. We're all learning. We're all being molded into the shape of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the potter and we are the clay. And so as we look through Scripture, as we read those two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we come to realize that these things are all before us for our benefit. That's awesome. That is humbling to even consider and understand. And what we'll see this morning is the grace of Christ Jesus our Lord. How He loves with a perfect love, calling on all to come to Him and desires to enjoy this communion in that as we are restored to Him, what He enjoys most of all is in that time of restoration, a time of communion, of fellowship with Him, with all who trust in Him. We'll see a calling, a communing, and a time of correction as well. Let's again go, verse, go back to verse 13, which says, He went out again beside the sea. That is the Sea of Galilee. This is Jesus who is, who is walking, just as He had before. And we read in chapter 1, and He called on Simon and Andrew and James and John. He was doing the same thing. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to Him. And He was teaching them. And as He passed by, He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, and sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So Jesus, as he went out and taught, he came back, but he remained in the area, in the region of the Sea of Galilee. And he continued to teach, and many came to him. Back in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In Mark chapter 1 verse 38 says, And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And then in verse 13 again it says, And he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. So he's consistent. This is why he came and this is what he went out to do and this is what he was found doing. But again, the question that we ought to ask ourselves is why is Jesus preaching and teaching? Why is it that we would share the word of God with anyone? Why is it that we would answer a dilemma or a situation with the truth of God's word? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Let me ask you this question. What is it that pleases God? Without this, we we can't please Him. What is it? Faith. Yeah, faith. So we need to exercise whatever small faith we have. And then as we exercise even that small faith that we have, we we demonstrate that we are good stewards of what God has already given to us. Just a little bit. You don't have to have a great faith. You just have to have some faith, which God says he gave you a measure of. Each and every one of us have a measure of faith. And so as we exercise that, and then we come, we hear God's word, we apply it, we see his faithfulness. What what happens to your faith? 
it, it grows. You're a little bit more confident. It's kind of like, um, for those of you who are fathers, you, you know this a little, little bit uh, better because perhaps you did this in the pool with your child. And as, or, or moms, you know, they came up to the, to the edge of the water and this is when they were very fearful of the water and you told them, just jump in, I'll hold you, I'll catch you, right? And at first, normal kids, right? Not the ones who just, because we all have some kids that just jump into the water no matter what. But normally kids will be very fearful of the water, right? And at first they... Very hesitantly, they'll fall into dad's arms, but they realize dad will catch them. Play around in the water a little bit and then put them back up on the side, right? You guys know the drill, right? Do you guys do this? You guys okay? You guys here? You guys awake? Yeah? All right. And then they do it again. And after a while, you can't stop them. You're like, okay, okay, you know, we're, we're good. You know, but why is it? It's because they've built up such a confidence in dad. They know dad's going to catch him every single time. So they'll just jump. They'll just jump. They'll just jump. Then you have to teach them how to swim. Because <laughs> now they're just going to jump into the water. But that, that faith in dad is built up. Why? Because of experience. Why? Because they trusted him one time. A little bit of faith. They realized he was faithful. And because he was faithful, my faith increases. Every time God is faithful, my faith increases. He has a perfect faith, for he cannot deny himself. So he's faithful. But you express a little bit of faith, and you realize, oh, he's trustworthy. A little bit more. Oh, he's full of faith. He's so good. In Romans chapter 10, this is how our faith grows. Verse 14, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Why is it? Because you know what to have faith in. It's as simple as that. You hear the word and you think, well, I'm going to exercise faith in this. Why? Because God is saying this is truth, and it is, but I have to test it out. And so you jump into his arms and you realize, oh, that was true. And then you read a little bit more and you exercise a faith in that. And you realize, oh, that was true also. And he's faithful in that. And you keep going. So this is why Jesus is preaching and teaching. It's because he desires that people would come to believe who he is. That's the whole goal. He came to seek and save the lost. But how can they know that he is a savior unless they are told that he's a savior? That it is proven through scripture that he's a savior. And that is exactly what he's doing. He's preaching and teaching. Going throughout this whole region and doing that. Jesus desired that they would all grow in their faith and be saved. 
And so he taught the word of God and proclaimed the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus was doing this, and many people were coming to him, he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw this man by the name of Levi. Now Levi. Levi was in his tax booth. The place where he would collect the tax from the Jewish people. And this is where he, this is where he found him. He called out to him, just as he had called out to Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Same way. And Levi, this, this tax collector, he immediately rose. He, he stood up and he was willing to leave everything and he followed Jesus. At that very moment. Listen, a tax collector in Jesus' day was a a person who was despised by the Jewish people. Um, They were considered traitors. Why is that? Because they they were Jews who sided with the Roman government to collect taxes from the Jewish people. And this work was not upstanding. It was not full of integrity. And it wasn't a, a moral profession. And this is why. It was, it was corrupt at its very core. These positions in various areas throughout Israel were handed over to the highest bidder. So they would bid to the Roman Government and tell them, I'm willing to do this and this is what I offer you. And they would literally reach in their pocket and they would offer the Roman government a good sum of money. Well, for this person, they were, there was some incentive to collect more than what was appropriate. So if the tax, let's say, was 5%, Wouldn't that be wonderful? And if they, you know, by chance, charge 7% or maybe 10%, then they would keep the difference. It remained with them. And this was a great way for a Jewish person, if they didn't mind being despised and being an outcast, to get rich real quick. Roman Empire didn't care. As long as they had some people who were willing to do this, they didn't care. You can take advantage of your own people. We just want what's coming to us. Well, these tax collectors obviously would be despised by the people. And even their own families would be a disgrace in the community. Think of this. This is one person's action, and yet his whole family would be a disgrace to everyone in the Jewish community. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. They were not allowed to be uh, serve as, as witnesses uh, on, a, on a trial. They were definitely not allowed to be judges. Why? Because there was no personal integrity, no moral standing. So when Jesus called on Levi to follow him, he was calling the lowest of the low. The despised. The, 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 
he was the hated of society, the hated, most hated person in that area. He was a traitor. In fact, he had to be guarded by a Roman soldier. You know, as now you look back at Simon and Andrew, James and John, they were fishermen. They, they, could, they could go back to work. They'd be fine. But if Levi left his work, it would be very difficult for him to return. And yet Levi chose to follow Jesus over everything else. He was willing to jeopardize the way in which he provided for himself and his family. And at this point, a despised man, what would he be able to go back to? He would be shunned. Listen, not many are willing to do that very same thing today. What, what if, what if I, I lose it all? What if I, I lose my livelihood? What if I lose my family? What if I lose... What if? Listen, a, a person is called, and, and Jesus said, don't seek to to preserve your life. Instead, lose it for my sake, because in that place you will find it. And indeed, for all of those who have placed their, their trust in Jesus Christ, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you realize that you've lost nothing, and you've gained everything. Well, remember that word had gotten out that Jesus was preaching and teaching, so... He, he had many people coming to him. He was healing in amazing ways. And it would be difficult to believe that someone had not heard of Jesus at this point. Therefore, I believe that Levi had heard and perhaps even had heard Jesus teaching and preaching the gospel. What Levi found amazing at this moment was that Jesus was, would even call on him. And I can't help but remember when I first when I first came to Christ, I remember how it was that I, I could not believe that the Lord would forgive me of the sins that I had committed, knowing that my sins were many. So it took me a while as I heard the gospel, as I read through, as, as I asked many questions of my friend, the one who presented the gospel to me. And it, it, wasn't, it was months after that I finally realized God loves me that much. And he he doesn't desire that I should perish, but that I should simply, as Stephen had reminded us, that I would simply receive that free gift of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. And I remember at that very moment how overwhelmed I was with gratitude. And you can't help but respond by looking for and desiring to serve him and bless him in some way, shape, or form. Levi found it amazing. Jesus was calling on him, and he wanted him to follow him, to be his disciple. Is it an amazing thing that Jesus calls you? That Jesus desires for you to be his disciple and to have fellowship with him? Does that still amaze you? Do you still have a heart of gratitude?
Do you still respond to that? Well, not only did Jesus call on Levi to follow him, but he also went to his home and had a meal with him and with many of his tax collector and sinful friends. He went and had a meal with them. Verse 15 says, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So tax collectors and sinners were drawn to Jesus. Why were they drawn to Jesus? You know, he came, I remind you again, he came to, to seek and save the lost. He came to offer redemption to all mankind through the shed blood that he will in this moment, uh, looking forward to shed on the cross at Calvary. This was his whole purpose. They were drawn to his kindness. How was that he looked at them, not at that moment with judgmental eyes, with with eyes of judgment, but he looked at them with longing, with with a a loving gaze, a a look of perfect love. And, And I cannot even imagine how it is that Jesus, as he welcomed everyone, how it is that he acknowledged them and treated them. Jesus being gentle and lowly in heart. Oh, may we have that character, that, that way of being ourselves. Not hard, not prideful, not arrogant. These people were finding that there is indeed rest to be found for their souls as they drew near to him. As we know that to be true in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I have no doubt that they deeply enjoyed breaking bread with Jesus. It was, um, it was not a time where Jesus was drawn to their sin. I want to make something perfectly clear. Uh, there is some, I don't know, portion of the church that thinks that it's uh, somehow cool and hip and this is how you you reach people uh, to go to a bar and smoke stogies and drink whiskey in the garage and and do things like that that is not church this is this is not the example that Jesus is setting for us he wasn't becoming part of who they were he wasn't doing what they were doing you know what he was doing he was he was breaking bread in other words, he was, he was eating with them. That's what he was doing. I do imagine, though, that their hearts were just set ablaze by the very presence of Jesus. You know, fast forward to the day when Jesus walked and taught a couple of believers on the road to Emmaus. In Luke chapter 24, we have that story. And this is after 
Jesus' resurrection and uh, before his ascension. And in verse 28 of chapter 24 of Luke, we pick up, it says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, again, breaking bread, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And look at verse 31. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. It's in that moment, it's in that moment of fellowship, of communion, that the Lord opened their eyes to see him for who he was. But they remembered the words that he spoke, and they said, oh, weren't our hearts just burning? There's just set ablaze as he was speaking to us on the road. That's where we need to be, church. In that place to where our hearts are set ablaze. We are at a point to where I am sorry, but the church is asleep. We have no passion for the Word of God. It's hard to get us to sit and just spend five minutes in the Word and just read. Just spend time with the Lord, let alone spend 30 or 60 minutes with Him. Continually throughout the day, go back to the Word and read again and read again and spend time with Him. He desires to open up your eyes. To see who it is that desires to have sweet fellowship. Oh, that we would have that passion. Perhaps we can pray for the church, but I ask that you would pray for yourself. Because this is where, this is where it starts. It starts with the individual. Realizing that God passionately loves us. And he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He desires to have fellowship with us, communion. These two men were, were beside themselves in just joy. They couldn't help but go and, and run. And, and they, they went back and they told the other 11 disciples what had taken place. They deeply enjoyed breaking bread with Jesus. But this is exactly what Jesus desires. Communion with Him. To enjoy an intimacy with Him and abide in Christ. Well, back in Mark, we know that Levi had many of his tax collector friends and sinners. And by the way, they're one and the same. Tax collectors and sinners, that those words could be used interchangeably. And notice here that it says that there were many who followed him. So not a few, but there were many who were following Jesus in that moment. 
And Levi was called, but many of his tax collector friends were following Jesus also. That is, they were drawing near to hear what he had to say. We may look at this and we may think, oh, there were a bunch of people who had faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. No, that's not what this is saying. At that very moment, they were following him as in they were, they were wanting to hear more. They wanted to see what he did. Whether they would continue or not, we do not know. But we do know that they were willing to hear and desire to understand what Jesus was teaching. That they, they were willing to do and they had a desire to do. There was a time when Jesus taught and what he taught was too much for people. He was teaching that he was the bread of life and what it means. And there were some of his disciples that turned away from him as he confronted his disciples. It says that at this moment in John chapter 6, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So there were many who were following him But at the moment when it got difficult to understand or perhaps apply the word to their lives, they turned away. Were they really true disciples? John chapter 6, verse 60 says this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? He may ask us the same question this morning. Maybe not at this moment, but rest assured that at some point, Jesus is going to ask you the same thing. When it gets difficult, he'll ask you the same thing. Do you want to go away as well? May we answer like Peter did. Because in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Listen, sometimes just because we're gathered together and hearing doesn't mean that we're actual disciples of Jesus Christ. We are proven in those moments of hardship. When we are confronted with the the decision to either adhere or obey the Lord or go our own way, that, that is what proves whether we're genuine disciples of Jesus Christ or not. I I want to make that perfectly clear because I I don't want anyone to 
to think that perhaps, you know, I'm saved and I'm a disciple and that's it, when you haven't proven a thing. The trials and the confrontations of life and the hardships of life have only proven otherwise. There's absolutely no fruit in your life. Please, I would ask that you would perhaps consider that. Understand that, listen, you may not be saved. You may not be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But instead of taking offense to that, because this is what Jesus was saying, do you take offense at that? Instead of taking offense, instead allow that to be a conviction that leads to repentance, that leads to eternal life, because that is what God desires. Listen, just because these tax collectors were enjoying a meal with Jesus in this very moment does not mean that they were going to remain with Jesus or even that they were saved. But what we do know is that Jesus desires that all sinners repent and believe in the Son of God. And He desires that we would place our trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Savior and Lord, Lord of our lives, Lord of all. Now, Levi was one of many who were dining with Jesus, and Jesus was at his home. But this man was a genuine convert. Why do we know that? Because immediately there was fruit. He forsook all to follow Jesus. His communion communion with Jesus was sincere. But Jesus came not just for Levi. But for all who are willing to confess, they need a Savior. He, He desires that none should perish. That means that for God so loved the world that he, the world, everyone, that he sent his only begotten son. Listen, all of these people were glad to break bread with Jesus But there were some who were not so happy that this was happening. And Jesus corrected their thinking. Verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. There are many things that many people, although they are very familiar with Scripture, still do not understand. Uh, What is the reason for that? Uh, Because perhaps we don't consider God's Word as a whole or... We don't know how to interpret God's word rightly. There's a right word. You see, God gives the meaning to his word. We don't don't put that into the word. Our work is to extract from the word what he means by what he says. We're not the interpreters, depending on how we feel. That's why in Bible study, never ask the question, what does that mean to you? Don't do that. What does God mean by that? 
That's what we should be asking. There's one interpretation, but many applications. One interpretation, many applications. The better question is, what does God say, and how can that be applied? That is a question that should be asked. Why do we not understand the Scriptures sometimes? It's because we're looking at Scriptures with a, a, a perspective that we're starting out with. Um, we already have it all figured out, and so we're reading through, and this is what it says. No, no, no. Do your work and make sure that you know what it's saying in context. Because such were the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew the word so well. And yet they lacked understanding. And to them what Jesus was doing was scandalous. It was scandalous. That how is it that this man could eat with tax collectors and sinners? Does Jesus somehow not know that these men were considered traitors? That these men were despised? Does he not know that they are the scum of the earth? What did these men see? They saw a teacher of the law, a performer of miracles, and they were still trying to figure him out. They were, they were hanging out with him. And he was simply there for one purpose, and that's to lead them to a place of believing that Jesus was the Son of God. But wait a minute. Doesn't the word say that we're supposed to be equally yoked, not unequally yoked? Isn't this being unequally yoked? Doesn't it say in James that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Doesn't it say that we shouldn't be entangled in civilian affairs? I thought we weren't supposed to defile ourselves with those who are opposed to God. Listen again, some people mistakenly say that Jesus, quote-unquote, hung out with sinners as if he, and I say this respectfully because, but this is how it's brought across, as if he's partying with them. And yet we know Jesus was sinless. This is not what he did. Jesus was in the midst of sinners to save them. Not to join them and just justify them in their sin. He wasn't there to do that. There was no time when Jesus was drawn to what the sinners were doing. But rather sinners were drawn to respond to his love and kindness. You can just imagine for them it was, it was as, as if being around Jesus was certainly different. They were accepted and they weren't, he wasn't condescending. I, he was someone who was loving on them and leading them to salvation. They asked the question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Simple answer to save them. That's it. The religious men, teachers of the law, were in need of correction. Why? Because, again, they lacked understanding. And I wonder how much we need correction 
over and through because we lack understanding. I believe there is much. I, I, am, I have to be corrected often as I, I go through and I learn a little bit more and I learn a little bit more and I learn a little bit more. I can't wait to learn again and again and again. But in that correcting, I pray that we are drawn to Jesus because it is in the word that we gain understanding of the truth. Many people have questions, but few actually pursue the answer to these questions within the pages of Scripture, and they fail to understand what is true. You see, Jesus desires that we enter his rest. As his word exposes what is in our hearts and then calls us to repent, to turn from that and turn to him. And as that word exposes that, as we turn from our sins, we can know what is true and discern his will for us. You know, in Hebrews chapter 4, this is what the word does. Verse 11 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Godly grief leads to repentance, which leads to eternal life. That is the whole goal of the Spirit convicting us of our sin, exposing those things that are not of Him. And with this, we know that Jesus desires to correct so that we may know the truth, uh, that we may have a restored heart by giving us a new one. 2 Corinthians 5.17, saying, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus desires to correct our own hearts, to restore us, to save us. I want to end with this. And that is in Luke chapter 19. We see another instance of a a little man by the name of Zacchaeus. Uh, He was also a man who was despised, and this happened in Jericho. And I just want to read through. Perhaps we can uh, bring everything together in this story, and, and we know how it is that God calls on everyone, desires that none should should perish, none should go to hell, but that all would repent, confessing our sins and no salvation in Christ. He calls, he wishes to have fellowship with us, and he's willing to correct our hearts that we may know the truth. This story, Luke 19, verse 1 says, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now we know why, right? He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Father, we, Lord, as we just read about Zacchaeus, Lord, he received you joyfully. He repented, Lord. He was willing to forsake all, Lord, and to even restore what perhaps he had taken in in the wrong way. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would have a desire to please you. Lord, that we would realize who it is that's calling on us, Lord, to come to confess and repent of our sins, Lord, not for any other reason, but so that we would know the hope of heaven, to be forgiven in the Son, and Lord, to be covered by his righteousness, and Lord, to know for sure that we are going to be with you, our Father, for all eternity. I pray also for the church that we would have a passion for your word, that we would desire to have fellowship with you, that we would have a desire to serve you. Lord, that we would demonstrate a love for you through our obedience, not because we have to, but because we want to please you. And I pray for anyone who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that perhaps this morning, through everything that has already been spoken, Lord, That they simply are drawn to you by your kindness, your love, your mercy, your grace. And Lord, as you extend that offering of forgiveness to them, that they would respond by simply receiving it. By crying out to you and asking for your forgiveness. And crying out that Jesus would be their Lord and their Savior. Pray, Lord, that... We would all be humble before you and love on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I want to take a moment, though, um, just with what was...